Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to rightly divide the Word of God for the people of God. Today is April the 12th, and I am coming to you from Beckley, West Virginia. I am on the road again visiting, um, actually, Appalachian, Appalachian Bible College. I'll be sharing in some classes tomorrow, so I am up here in West Virginia one more time, and... Uh, I am, uh, we are going to, last time we were together at session number nine, uh, we looked at uh, chapter two, verses six through nine, and today we're going to pick up, we're going to do session 10 and pick up in verse number 10. So let's go ahead and get over there real quick. Got our Bibles open here. Um, Let's uh, get there just for context. Uh, let's go ahead and look at uh, chapter 2, Ephesians. And last time we got down to uh, verse number 9. So let's read for a little context just so it'll make sense. Let's back up to the first whole thought, which would be verse number 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God, for by grace are you saved through faith. So you're saved by faith, and it's not of works. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift. A gift is something that is given without strings attached. It's not, I'll give you something if you give me something. That's not a gift. Uh, A gift is something that is given. Uh, For by grace are ye saved. And that not of yourselves. It's nothing that we have done. You know, I I was just talking to a brother about this the other day. I hear preachers say all the time. And again, it is the mixing of the kingdom gospels and the grace gospels. They'll say, you need to repent to be saved. Um, well, you know, Paul never said that. Um, Paul just said that you just need to believe not repent, believe. I mean, think about it. If you're sitting, I don't know when you were saved. Um, you know, I, you know, sitting in church, I, I hear a message and I am convinced of the truth of that message. And I believe, and I am immediately at that moment converted. I'm saved. Um, in my novice mind, and I'm sure in anyone else's, repentance doesn't come up. You know, I, I don't sit there and go, you know, God, I, I'm sorry for everything I've done. I'm sorry I'm just not, you know, I don't do all that. You didn't do all that. You just said, I believe that. I believe that. And the moment you believe that, you're converted. So the verse Paul here is saying, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. There's nothing that you did or could do to earn your salvation. Nothing at all. Um, As a matter of fact, you know, Paul's going to talk about that a little more as we get down into um, Ephesians here, but it's... You know, in Ephesians chapter 15, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel that I preached unto you which you also received and wherein you stand. Okay, what's the, what's the gospel? 
I mean, you ask the average person today what the gospel is, and you're going to get all kinds of answers. But what is the gospel? What is the good news that Paul was preaching unto them that they received and wherein they stood? He says in verse number two, by which also ye are saved. So this gospel that Paul's preaching brings about salvation. And what is it? Look in verse three. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. That's the gospel. I don't see the word repent there anywhere, do you? I don't see the word baptism in there anywhere. I don't see the word you got to speak in tongues in there anywhere. It just says you got to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The moment you believe that, you're saved. Period. That's it. It's the gift of God. And that's it. That's all that's required. And then look down in verse number 10. He says, For... We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. Now, everybody knows verses 8 and 9. They quote them all the time. You know, grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, get to God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But how many people know this verse? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. His point is that we, as the body of Christ that is saved by grace through faith, are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. He made us. We are the new creature that he made. In first in 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become what? New. He made us. We are the new creature. In Titus 2.14, he says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We are his workmanship. He made us. We are the new creature. As such... We are created in Christ. What does he mean by that? We are created in Christ. For we are his workmanship, comma, created in Christ Jesus. When was the new creature created? Well, we were created in Christ Jesus at the moment that we trusted the gospel and became the new man. It happened just like that. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 24, let's look at that real quick. Ephesians 4, 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 10. Notice he also says to the Colossians, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Who created him? Christ created him. And what is that new man? Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. So God created, Christ created the new man where it is both Jew and Gentile. 
circumcised and uncircumcised. He's speaking of Jew and Gentile. Now, if you look at that verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So we're his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus when we were in Christ unto unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. Now, the other similar approach to this verse is that the body of Christ, the one new man, is what God is building today, and that is his workmanship. So, the body of Christ, the one new man, that God is building today. God is building his church. Now, some people... um, you know, we'll say that it's we are the one building the body of Christ. No, we're not the ones building it. Christ is building his own church. He is just using us to do it. And how's he doing that? By good works that he is doing through us. I'm convinced they're not our works, but it is what he is doing through us. He has created us unto good works that he does through us. So it's not even our works. It's him doing it through us. He is simply using us as vessels to do it. Okay? So they're not our works. Romans 3, chapter 12 says, they are all gone out of the way. They are altogether unprofitable. There's no one that does good. No, not one. None of them do good. Colossians 1, 6 says, Which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So it's he is bringing forth the fruit in our lives. It is he that is doing the good works. Without him, there would be no good works. Which is come unto you as it is... Look at the whole verse, Colossians 1, 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is death, burial, and resurrection, which is come unto you as it has in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit. In other words, it, it, brought, a, it brought forth fruit as a result of you hearing it, as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. So it's the work that is happening as a result of our salvation, but I think it's even one step further. It's God doing the work through us. Now, uh, some will say the opposite, springboarding off of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. So some will say that Paul speaks of himself as a wise master builder, which he does, and we are doing the good work of building the church today by reaching the world for Christ with the gospel. Well, even so, God is still doing it through us. 
There's nothing good in and of ourselves. Anything that happens positive out of our lives, there's no man that doeth good. No, not one. Okay, for the wages of sin is death. I mean, we're we're sinners. We're incapable of doing good without Christ. The good that we do is because of Christ working in and through us. And I believe that's just the simplest interpretation. We are his workmanship. He created us. He created us in Christ when we came to Christ. And he created us unto good works. He's created good works, which he has before ordained, that we should just walk in them. In other words, we're not struggling to do them. We don't have to sit down and try to figure them out. It's just he's ordained that we should walk in them. And as long as we're walking in his will, walking in his way, we're going to do what he wants us to do. And then notice he says in verse number 11, Wherefore, in lieu of that, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, and Gentiles were always called the uncircumcised. Remember David called the Philist, uh, Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. By that which is called the circumcision, David was circumcised. He was a good Jewish boy. And he called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. So the circumcised is the Jew, the uncircumcised is the, is the Gentile. Circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So he's talking about a physical circumcision that a young Jewish male would receive, I believe it was the eighth day, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. Who's that? Gentiles. You were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So again, now he turns his attention to the Gentiles who in time past were without Christ. They were aliens, foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel, the nation of Israel, and they were strangers regarding the covenants of promise that God had made, the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant. You know, all those covenants had nothing to do with the Gentiles. They were all given to the Jew, having no hope without God in this world. This is the state of Gentiles prior to Christ. Why? Because they were not included in the covenants that God had made with Israel. Back then, the only way for a Gentile to get into Israel's blessings were for them to be proselytized. In other words, they had to convert to Judaism. Uh, Esther mentioned something about this in Esther, Esther 8.17, and in every province and every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his degree came, the Jews had joy and gladness and a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So you could become a Jew. How did you become a Jew? You were proselytized into Judaism. If you were a male, it meant you had to get circumcised, and you had to begin to keep the law of Moses, um, the ceremonial law, the the uh, moral law. You had to keep the law. Now, still, as a Gentile, you know, I mean, there was only so far you could go, but that's how you got into the promises of Israel. Of course, that's no longer required today because of the blood of Christ that we're going to see in the next verse. 
Now, to me, these verses fly in the face of covenant theology that teaches there is only one people of God. There's only one people instead of two being Jew and Gentile. There was and is an obvious separation, and that is what he is explaining in these verses. There was a separation between Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles, what did he say there? They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were not part of Israel, and yet they'll teach that. They do teach that. Um, again, it flies in the face of that. Again, we, will, we all approach Scripture with a filter that's been given to us. All of us. I was talking to a brother today. I mean, if you're raised in a dispensational Baptist church, then, you know, I can pretty much tell uh, where you're coming from theologically because that's the filter that you were fitted with, and that's how you see the Bible. And if you were raised in a Reformed, Calvinistic-type church, then that's the filter you've been given, and that's the way you approach the Bible. Now, I'll be honest, most people that go in the church doors today are completely ignorant. They don't even know what they believe. Um, but if you were raised or at least exposed to one of these forms of hermeneutic, which is biblical interpretation, and you paid any amount of attention as a student of Scripture, you have a filter that can hinder you from approaching Scripture with an open mind. Uh, instead, you tend to approach the Bible with a preconception, and therefore you just seek to prove what you've already preconceived. In other words, you see what you want to see when you open the Bible. I put something up today on my Facebook Directional Ministries page that a, a, a clear reading of the Bible will destroy a lot of theology. And it will. I mean, we teach and practice a lot of things in the church today that simply is not found anywhere in the Bible. Uh, it's traditions of men. It's stuff that's just been passed down. So much of what we do uh, is not really in the Bible. Uh, so unfortunately, we, we see what we want to see sometimes. Now, notice verse number 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. But now, if you're in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who were sometimes afar off back then in the day, now you've been made nigh. How have you been made nigh? By the blood of Christ. Again, this verse is still speaking of Gentiles who were far off at one time, but have been made now by the blood of Christ. In other words, our status has changed from far to nigh, from far to near, because of Christ's work on the cross and the blood that he shed to that end. It's the gospel of reconciliation that we just read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we Gentiles who were aliens outside the commonwealth of Israel have been brought nigh. That is the gospel. Understand that in time past, for a Gentile to be saved, 
They had to recognize that they were outside of the nation and could only be brought in by proselytization via, via circumcision and keeping of the law of Moses just like the nation. But not now. Now both Jew and Gentile come to God the same way through faith alone apart from the works of the law. And he's going to go on to explain this. Look in verse 14. For he is our peace who hath made one, who has made both one. Both who? Jew and Gentile. He has made both of them one now and has broken down that middle wall of partition between us. Christ brought about peace between the Jew and the Gentile, or you could say between the Gentiles and God, by removing the middle wall partition that was between us. Now, remember in the Old Testament that God separated the Jew from the rest of the world. In Exodus 11, verse number 7, But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. He made a distinction between the Jews and the Egyptians who were Gentiles. In Numbers chapter 23, verse number 9, For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him, Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. God separated the Jew from the Gentile. Okay? Um, And it's interesting when he talks about this middle wall of partition. What is he talking about? Is it a spiritual wall? Is it a physical wall? Well, it could be both. The only physical wall mentioned is, is the one that separated the court of women from the court of the Gentiles. Josephus mentions this wall as having been three cubits high. And remember, a cubit was the distance between the elbow and the tip of the middle finger. So that would make this wall about this physical wall that separated the court of women from the court of the Gentiles. And the court of women would be Jewish women. The court of the Gentiles would be both male and female. Um, about four and a half feet tall. And the penalty for crossing this physical wall was death. Now, whether we're talking about a spiritual wall or a physical wall, and I think it's more a spiritual wall, um, the point is that it is gone now. And the Jew and the Gentile are reconciled to God the same way through faith in Christ. And how did he do that? By abolishing in his flesh the enmity in verse number 15. Even the law. So what was the enmity? The law of commandments. So it was the law of commandments that created this division between the Jew and the Gentile, which prevented the Gentile from getting to God. And he goes on, he says, even the law of commandments, which commandments? The ones that are contained in the ordinances. And again, there's a difference, and we'll talk about this, between um, the moral law and the ceremonial law. Or, you know, I don't know what you would call that. Um, I think I referred to it down here somewhere. 
the moral law and the ceremonial law. That's what it is. Uh, so there's a difference, and he, he says here that it's the law that was contained in the ordinances. So it wasn't the thou shalt nots. It was the thou shalts. <laughs> the moral law was you will not do this. The ceremonial law or the ordinance laws were you, this is what you will do. And he did this for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace between the two. So remember, this is a continual thought between verses 14 and 15. So in verse 14, notice he says, For he is our peace, he has made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that was dividing us, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances. And he did this to make one new man, to make two one, Jew and Gentile, so making peace between them. Okay? And having abolished means to bring to naught or to bring to an end. So having brought to an end in his flesh the enmity, which speaks of the cause of the separation. What was the cause of the separation between Jew and Gentile? The law of commandments contained in the ordinances. Now, the law actually placed a separation between the Jew and the Gentile. It actually served to alienate the nation of Israel from the rest. They were a set-apart people who saw themselves as the favorites of God. Why? Because they held the oracles of God. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 2 says that, if I can uh, get this little, little pasty thing or here, there you go. Romans 3, 2. Much in every way. Well, what advantage, in verse number 1, hath the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly, firstly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So the Jews were God's favorites. They, they had the only way of salvation. And if you were a Gentile and you wanted in, then you had to become one of them. But when Christ came, by his death, he abolished all that and made himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So the law of commandments mentioned here is not, like I said, a reference to moral law, but ceremonial law. Moral law would be the, the negative commandments, if you will. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not this. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The positive commandments were, but you will do this, regarding your sacrifices, regarding your festivals, regarding your fasts. It was the positive commandments that set Israel apart and caused occasion for the animosity between them and the Gentiles. And he did this, why? For to make in himself one new man. 
This speaks of the two becoming one in the body of Christ, so making peace. So, so how far did we get? Uh, verses 10 through verse number 15 is how far we got. So let's look at that real quick. Get back. I'm just hopping all over the place, aren't I? Um, uh, Ephesians 4, I was there. Let's get back to, I've been all over the place, haven't I? Ephesians 2, verse number 10 is where we picked up. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Because of this, wherefore, remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, back then, you Gentiles were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off, You've been made nigh. How? By the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. And he hath made both of us one now. And he's broken down the middle wall partition that was between us. How? By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which was the law of the commandments that was contained in the ordinances. For to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace. Hope you enjoyed that. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember, God loves you. He wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for our good.